Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On Headstrong, we are very pleased and proud to be partnered with the CBD brand, The Good Level. Now, I've been taking CBD for about 18 months to maintain my mental well-being, but it's been very difficult to find a brand that I can trust because there's so many faceless foreign brands out there and you're not sure what you're buying or how it's sourced. Luckily, I found two guys, Joe and Johnny, who have created this wonderful brand called The Good Level. What's so great about these guys is that they support British farming. Many brands import their CBD from America, but the good levels say they don't rely on the methods by farmers that they've never met, nor the farms that they've never seen. They have a really close relationship with their farmers who are in Somerset, meaning they know how their product is produced from start to finish. They're the first CBD company I've found who put a face on the brand and they're transparent with the whole process of how they create their products. And they've even got their own podcast where they look at the latest research on CBD. To check them out, go to their Instagram at the.good.level and drop them a message if you want to find out more about CBD. And for 15% off their products, use Headstrong15 on their website for checkout. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Headstrong. My name is Louis Strong and I host this podcast. Now Headstrong is a podcast where I sit down with a number of individuals in the public eye to talk to them about their lives and their careers. But notably, I want to talk to them about their vulnerabilities to understand what the word Headstrong means to them. We are currently in season six and it's going very, very well with some wonderful guests. But today's guest is pretty awesome indeed. I am joined by Britain's best skier, Dave Riding. Now, Dave and I had a chat during his off time from last season and before going into the next season to talk about how he got into skiing 
and indeed his experiences with being on the road on his own and the challenges that he faces day in and day out. So I really hope you enjoy this episode of Headstrong. Dave, thank you very much for joining me on Headstrong. How's it all going? Yeah, it's going all right. Um, into the summer training, it never seems to stop. It's, um, it just seems like deja vu. You finish one season, you start the next, and then you're looking forward to the season already. So yeah, um, going all right, training away, um, heading back on snow pretty soon. Yeah, as you say, it does all just swing around, doesn't it? Now, I am starting this series in a kind of unique way, and I'm asking every guest, not about where they are or what's going on at the moment, but actually how you're feeling. How are you doing at the moment? Um, I'm doing all right. Um, I think with everyone, um, there's been a lot of uncertainty around um, the last year. So I think everyone's feeling the strain of yeah, not being able to do what they want, having to live under restrictions and it's probably grinding on a lot of people. I was fortunate that we had a race season, but um, yeah, it was, it was a stressful one. And yeah, I think like anyone itching, itching for um, life to be back to what was the norm um, and hopeful that it will return this summer. We shall see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before we do crack on a massive thank you to, um, my friends Nick and George for, for helping facilitate this and we did touch base as you say actually back in December but you were mid-season very busy definitely not the top of your list to be speaking to me um, but here we are now which is great but you, it's come to the end of the season we're talking as you say in between uh, with the build-up already on the next season but I'm curious to ask you what is that feeling like at the end of a season those emotions and your body as well are you just happy for a break or as you say is it ready already looking into the next one um, it really depends how the season's gone over the years um I'm, like i'm 34 now so i've i've had a lot of different emotions at the end of the season um generally if it if it's been a good season you normally you're normally willing the end to come so that you can have a break because um yeah it's been it, the seasons are long we start in november we finish at mid march and we race quite often most weekend, well, not most weekends, but we have to make sure that we're on, we're in form, or as good a form we can be for four months. So it's it's very strenuous. Um, so yeah, by the time that the season end is upon us, um, yeah, emotionally really drained, um, dealing with the stresses of competing, dealing with the pressures of competing, and and, uh, and you've got to perform. So mentally, it's a it's a long season. Physically, normally okay. Um, you. you you normally, well, certainly now, I, I, I tend to pick up one or two little niggles as such, but nothing that's really um, stopped me performing. So, yeah, it's um, you, you're longing for the rest. And normally I would try and go away for two weeks just to be on a beach somewhere um, and mm-hmm. just chill out. The last two years we haven't been able to do that. So, yeah, it is a bit different. Uh, and it it's not easy to totally switch off because after the season I'm sitting at home um, twiddling my thumbs thinking oh let's start training and um yeah it's not always the smartest thing to do to start training too soon so yeah it's it's getting that balance but if you've had if you've had a bad season it's normally um fuel to the fire and you're itching to get going again (laughs) yeah i can totally imagine um as you we will come on to talk about that mentality in in greater detail definitely further through the show but i'm intrigued to ask you about your physical condition and uh, how you maintain 
your physicality in the off season? Because you, of course you're not doing what your role is, but you have to kind of still be hitting the gym, doing conditioning. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah. I, I tend to have two weeks completely off and then about two weeks where I'm just kind of doing whatever I want in terms of like, if I fancy going out for a bike ride, I'll go out for a bike ride. If I fancy, I try and do a gym session once a week. So I don't totally lose that and, and come back to it stiff as hell. <laughs> yeah. It's um, a lot of gym work, a lot of cardio work with skiing. It's it, the race days are like seven hours long. And while our race runs are only a, a minute long, normally, um, there's a lot in between. So fitness is really key. Um, and to be able to, yeah, maintain your focus for the whole day is tough as well as the body. So yeah, we do a lot of work, gym work, biking, running, all sorts. We, we do everything really. We're not that specific. We have to do a lot. No, I'm very keen to kind of take this chronologically because it makes the most sense to me. And so I know, I have no doubt you've probably already talked about this a million times in your life, but to, to the, the rogue listener of Headstrong listening to this, who's never, never, maybe, maybe never heard of you. The question is, when did you first put skis on your feet? Um, maybe I remember my first ski lesson. It was oh, yeah. when I was six and a half, Pendle Ski Club in Lancashire. Uh, my parents basically said, um, to come on holiday with us in the winter, you have to learn to ski. We're not um, waiting around for you. So um, good incentive to get going. Six and a half years old, went up to Pendle, and um, I absolutely loved it from from the first lesson. I think a lot of it's to do with the the instructor um, at the time, a, a lovely lady called Jeanette. And, um, yeah, I was l- just itching to get back up there and, and go again. And it just kind of progressed and um, went through – beginners intermediate advanced and then was invited to the race race club up there and then yeah coming from a competitive family everyone seems to be competitive which is quite um, exhausting now but when I was young <laughs> it really uh, I really wanted to try the racing and and while I did other sports skiing was always like the family's passion almost my dad had never raced but he just loved skiing so yeah that was where the passion was and and so obviously I, more time was spent skiing than say football even though I loved football um, sometimes I wonder why I chose skiing but yeah I mean you are in a very unique position as a professional athlete here in the UK because a lot of these sports as you're talking about there football you can go outside and play it um, but here unlike the states Switzerland France Austria we don't have that luxury to that extent so was that a challenge for you growing up? Did you see that as a challenge or was it all you ever knew? It was, yeah, it was exactly that, all I ever knew. Um, fortunately, where I learned to ski was a members run club. Um, it was very affordable. I think it was £3.50 a session 30 years ago. Um, and ski hire was not peanuts. So yeah, um, it was all I ever knew. I didn't even really know about this, this, the alpine world of racing until I was in my early teenage years, um, which wasn't ideal because it meant I'd, I never really started training on the snow until I was 12 or 13. I can't remember, but yeah, it did mean I was a bit behind. But yeah, it was all I ever knew. It was I just loved it. And um, yeah, just in my little dry slope bubble. Did you feel that held you back or was it just part of the parcel? Um, it was just the way I, I have done it. Um, it certainly held me back in the sense I was behind. Um, like when I first started racing international races, I, I remember being, well, the very first race I did in sort of juniors where you race in all ages, 
I was 33 seconds behind um, the, the winner of the race, who was Noel Baxter at the time. <laughs> and um, yeah, when when the race is only one minute 40 or 50 long, being 33 seconds behind is quite a lot. So um, I didn't even, I, I was quite happy with that. I, I, I remember counting the the Brits ahead of me. There was about 34 Brits ahead of me and I was pretty happy. I was 34th best junior in Britain as, as such. So yeah, um, I was deluded for sure because I just didn't know, but um, enjoyed it at least. Yeah, for sure. How does one progress then through the junior levels of skiing? So talk to me as if I, I know nothing, which is probably fairly accurate as well. What are, what are the kind of the challenges of getting through the, the kind of the route into professional skiing in the UK? Um, yeah, I mean, I knew nothing as well when I was, say, 16, 17. Um, I joined a, a club. Um, they would go on ski camps in their school holidays. Um, it was very it was very fun at the time it wasn't that serious um and then i progressed to i actually went i changed clubs because um at the time my initial club wasn't going to a certain race so i i just went away with another club and i made some good progress to the point where after one or two years i got selected for the england team which means they bring bring together like the the best people who are still in education in, in England and set up a, a team for them. So then you could travel Europe easier and much more, prof- not professional, certainly wasn't professional level, but it was, um, there was a pathway um, that I followed. It was just step by step. And there was always this pathway onto the next team, onto the next program. On, and, and it's just like any sport, I guess it's um, the progression as you go and, and you, you just naturally looking for the next step. So speaking of that progression, then when did it turn from a passion and a hobby into a drive and pursuit of a career? When was that kind of a reality? Um, well, I always I was always competitive, and I was always good on the dry ski slopes. So um, I always had this desire to be a ski racer. Um, I didn't realize how far away from the top I actually was. Um, and looking back now, I was miles away. But um, my parents, they made me, rightly so, they made me go to college, um, get my A-levels. So I did that. And then they said, right, you can have one year where you go to Austria, which was with a Brit- British development team, uh, and see how you go. Um, if you do well, then we'll pursue it. And if, and if you don't, then you can go to uni. I got a place at Loughborough, deferred it for one year and, and did quite well in my first year. So they, I got onto the British team after that. And the rest was kind of history. I just stuck with it, stuck with it, and um, each year tried to get better. And yeah, I guess when I went full time, that that was when it was like, right, this is serious, and this is where I've really got to dedicate my life. I think I was seventeen or eighteen to um, to this sport, and that's what I've done since. So yeah, another seventeen years later, and I'm still chipping away, <laughs> still going. Yeah. Absolutely. Now it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on this so let's say it's been 17 years then as you say there for you to to uh, since you got into the the professional realm of of international skiing what's that kind of been like now looking at it 17 years later on how it has developed the infrastructure has developed to get into skiing has it improved in the uk um 
to get into skiing, um, it's very similar. You go to your local dry slope, or you. Now we have snow as well on the indoor ski holes. We've got five, mm. which is which is definitely an advantage. Um, in terms of the the pathway, it's it's similar. Maybe it's gone more down the route of academies, which I don't always agree with. I wish there was still the pathway that I took because it was very affordable. Um, and work for me, so obviously I'm going to be biased towards that. Mm. Um, the thing that has changed is the the federation now is in a much much better position. Um, when I went to my first Olympics, the federation actually went it went into administration a month before in 2010. So I mean that was fantastic, but yeah, it was one of the hurdles that I just you had to overcome. Um, now now the federation is in a very solid position. Um, yeah, we have good coaches, we have good teams, we have good infrastructure. Everything that I need now is there. So that over the last 11 years, that's what's changed the most. And that's what is, um, I mean, I've had the same coach for 10 years, which, is, which has been really good. But we've been able to bring on servicemen to tune the ski so I don't have to do that for two hours every afternoon. And just much more professional now than, than what we maybe were in 2010. Physical and mental well-being are so important and come hand in hand. I'm incredibly proud to be sponsored by the CBD brand, The Good Level, who have well-being at the very forefront of what they do as a company and a brand. They offer CBD oils, balms and jellies, all of which are full spectrum and extracted by a cold press. Their oils are all made with extra virgin olive oil from Kalamata and that makes them so much tastier than any other that I've tried before. Their balms have a fantastic smell as well and are great to use on your skin or any pain you're experiencing. And of course their jellies taste so great for any sweet tooths. They also have a commitment to sustainability, pledging to plant at least 500 trees every year along with ensuring all their packaging is recyclable. So if you want to check The Good Level out, go to their Instagram page at the.good.level where you can find out all about their products. And if you'd like a discount, feel free to use Headstrong15 at checkout on their website. I'm intrigued to hear what you think of this, actually, just going from what you've said there, because it sounds like skiing has just become through, I don't know, through however it has, but almost become a luxury kind of, adventure sport would you agree with that in like in in the sense that it's become less accessible in the way that you did it because that's like you know for 350 ago back then that you'd go i'll do that let's go do it but now it seems like oh it's a bit more difficult and challenging yeah so pendle's still going um you basically back in the day I'd, you joined for 20 quid and then it was a non-profit organization really um, that's still going. Um, I don't know how much it is for a session, but over 30 years, it won't be £3.50. That's for <laughs> sure. I'll be double it. But yeah, still, still, that's that's good. I mean, the the thing that has changed in terms of the making it more expensive is is the academies. They're very professionally run, don't get me wrong. But I look back and think, could I have afforded that? Um, and I don't, I don't know the answer because times have changed as well. So I'd like to think I, I could just about have done it. My whole family came together to do the way that I did it as well, that as well as my sister. So yeah, there's definitely where's a will, there's a way. Um, in terms of going skiing though, it's probably cheaper now with the cheap flights you can find. I mean, there's all sorts of websites where you can find accommodation cheaper than what you probably could have. Um, so in terms of 
jetting out to Austria or like where I'm based in Obergurgel, um, it's, it's, it's not, it depends where you want to stay. You can do it. You can do it cheap. You can do it luxury. Um, yeah. and, and the lift pass in Austria is generally cheaper than say France. So I'm a big, big advocate for Austria in that sense. So yeah, if you want luxury, you can pay for it. If you don't, you can do a you still can do it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. If you want to go on holiday, absolutely. Oh, that's fair enough then. Now, of course, throughout your career, you've had, you have seen immense success and you've seen a steady proje- projection into kind of basically Britain's best skier, you know, and it's ha- hands down and fair to say. But my question to you is, how do you manage and deal with the outside noise and the pressure that is on you? Because you do have enormous pressure being Britain's best skier. And indeed, sometimes Britain's only skier and the UK are relying on you because you look at people like Austria, they might have 20 races going. How do you cope with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always say the easiest season I ever had was the season where I got my first podium. It was everything was going right. I was improving race after race. Um, Britain hadn't had anyone at, at that sort of level for 30 odd years getting a podium in World Cup. Um, Alan Baxter was very close. He had a podium at the Olympics and fourth in the World Cup. But um, it had been quite some time. So the outside ski world as such in Britain was absolutely buzzing. I could feel it every single race on social media. And it was just, without being a pun, it was just snowballed. And, and it was a great season. Once I was at the top, then it became, well, why is Dave in 16th and not in the top 10? Or is Dave going to win this next race? Um, that sort of thing became the norm. And um, it's then when a few bad races come around and people start questioning um, my, me, uh, my performances. And that's when the pressure comes also from within. You, you, you expect more from yourself. The team expects from you. Um, so your sponsors want good results. Um, but that's part of any sport, I'd say. That comes from being at the top level and that's what you've got to learn to deal with. So, yeah, I remember two seasons after my first podium, I didn't start the season great. I had, say, a 12th, which is fine, and a 20-something. And I remember people think saying, like, I, yeah, I, I see social media, um, and I read, it's just natural, you read things. And people were saying, like, oh, is Dave, is this it, as he, as he peaked? Um, even after, I was in a race called Madonna, and I really liked the, the hill. And I was in about 27th after the first run. But I'd actually had a pretty good first run. It just happened that the piece, which doesn't normally happen, got faster and the light got better. So people from starting in the 40s, 50s were coming into the top 30. Yeah. So a lot of good races didn't even qualify for the second run, only 30 only thirty qualify. And I remember after the race reading things from after the first run, is they finished, should he have been on, I'd actually switched models of skis. I've actually gone back now, but I'd switched onto a different brand of skis and people were questioning me. And I remember standing at the start for my second run and, and I would have put my, my house on a good second run because I knew the hill was good. I knew I was starting good and I ended up fourth. So, and then it goes from, is Dave finished to Dave's going to win the next race? It's just nuts. And, uh, but with experience, you, you learn that, you know, this, you can only control what you can control at the end of the day. And then um, people will say, it's not with social media is is great in terms of exposure but it's it's crazy in terms of um people voicing opinions and and things like that and and i think people forget that 
athletes do read it. Um, I mean, it's more in the media now about, say, the racism and football and, and these sort of things. Um, but, yeah, the social media, while it's great, is also pretty intense, should we say. So how have you learned to manage the social media side of things? Do you have like a rule now where you don't look at it the night before a race or during or what's the what's the? I kind certainly of don't look at it discipline? during. Uh, I never take my my phone really. I just have it on um, some music. But um, you end up laughing. Uh, it was funny this year after my podium. Someone called me the King John Un of British ski racing. <laughs> it was just like. I actually wrote back to him saying, I don't think you've got the right person here, mate, <laughs> because it was nuts. But he was having a, yeah, it was funny. I was like, wow. And then the younger lads were at the race and they were laughing like you know, the King John on a British ski race. And it was crazy. But uh, you oh just, God. I'm fortunate not to get abused really. Um, so I can laugh most of the things off that I've had said um or doubts so yeah i'm fortunate in that, that sense but you do read it but you learn to deal with it um i, I don't think i would ever learn to deal with such, such things as racism and things like that that's a total different subject but from the doubt the pressure the the the, the odd weird comments then you learn to deal with those so how do you block out that outside noise then do you have like specific techniques or is it just a matter of do not look at it because obviously that is difficult in terms of discipline isn't it yeah, I, I look at it. I'm not bothered. Um, and and if you, most ninety five percent, ninety nine percent of comments are positive, so mm. it, it's totally fine normally. And you can you can um, like build from it, take it as um, motivation and, and things like that. But yeah, I, I I'm not. I don't mind looking at it. Okay, from the other side of things then. So there is always going to be the outside noise, the media, the social media side of things that is going to naturally build pressure, whatever. But do you mount pressure on yourself? Are you an overthinker in that kind of regard? Um, maybe, a, maybe a bit too much pressure from myself. Um, I think it's come from wanting it a lot, putting everything I've got into it, and yeah, naturally um, wanting to stay at the top. So I'm constantly calculating where my ranking is or, or things like that, which a lot of other people don't do, which will relieve some of the pressure. But that's how I operate. And while over the last few years I have had to or I have tried to change that, um, in the end, it's, it's just not me. Um, so I, I just generally, that's me. I put some pressure on myself, but at the same time, try and deal with it as well. You can always be better. And maybe my result this year, I had no pressure because I'd not done great in a race before. So I was, I was even doubting if I was over the hill and then I had a podium. So yeah, there's definitely ways I can do things better. Um, but it's not, it's doing it bit by bit rather than chunks at a time because that also doesn't work. No, of course. I mean, there are times in your like in one's career, generally, regardless of what job you're in, you know, where you are, you're against the wall, you're up against it, you've got to hit deadlines, or you're just in a bad mindset, or you've got to get over your performances. When you do doubt yourself in your job, and then specifically for you with your job being skiing, how do you bounce back from that kind of self-doubt and learn to overcome it? So I suppose the question is, how do you train your mindset to overcome the doubt? Um I tend, I tend to really analyze, if I've had a bad day, I tend to really analyze what's gone wrong, what, what I've done. 
you don't become a bad skier overnight. So it's about trying to get a decent sleep and then coming to the next day with 110%, whether it be training or whatever I'm doing, and just going all in. Um, and that's how I, I'm, I'm generally, my, well, my coach and my assistant coach generally would agree that if I have a bad day in training, then the next day is normally good because I'll just go all in. And maybe it takes a bit away from a race coming up if I've exerted a lot, but I, I try and turn it around as quickly as I can and just go. It doesn't always work, but if you go all in with something, then at least you know you're, you're giving it your all. Do you have any like techniques you do yourself in terms of breathing or uh, do you use headspace or calm or anything like that? Um, no, not really. I just go into my own little world, switch off from the outside or skiing, just try and just simple, just watch something easy, take my mind off things, generally relaxes me, um, have a good good meal, um, speak to the, the girlfriend or fiance, I should say. Yes, you should. <laughs> um realize that what i do is quite privileged um okay it's hard work but a lot of people would like to be in my shoes and and six seven years ago i would have given anything to be where i am so putting things in perspective is the most important thing i would say and yeah it's not the end there's more important things than than my skiing thinking of it like that then do you ever think of skiing and then think of like alternate careers because you might, you know, I'm not saying that you do this, but I, I've spoken to professional sports people beforehand and they go, oh, do you know, I could have done this, you know, on those bad days. Do you ever have ever had that thought or have you actually always thought, no, I'm going to keep going till the body goes no? I've always thought, keep going till the body goes no. There would have been a time where I'd have to have stopped um, if it wasn't working out um, because there is reality that, yeah, you need to pay some bills. You can't live at your mum and dad's all the time. So... Thankfully, it worked out for me, but there was a stage where it's like, it's now or never. Um, yeah, I mean, I loved sport when I was young, so I played a lot of football and, and was generally quite good at a, quite a lot of sports because I just did a lot of sports. Um, so, yeah, could have, I would have loved to have maybe played football, but equally so, I might not have made it in football. So it's, it's, it's really easy to think I could have done this or I could do that. I mean, me and my fiance opened a cafe two years ago. And I tell you, the real world isn't easy. Um, and it really <laughs> puts things into perspective. Of I'm in full control of my skiing. Um, so yeah, I quite appreciate that. While we, I have coaches and people running programs, I'm in control of my body and I'm in control at that start gate of how I'm going to get to the bottom and no one else it's me and the mountain and the, and the gates. So I, I quite appreciate that now. Well, it's that comparison of individual versus team sport, isn't it? Where you, you, are, you are just kind of going back to that. It's the pressure on yourself. It is yeah. only you and the mountain and the skis and that's it. As you say, yeah. you can put in everything into place behind the scenes by other people. But on the day, it's you and the mountain. That's yeah, that. exactly. And, and while now I've got some younger teammates, I had to do it all on my own until pretty much last year. So, yeah that's powerful to be able on your own because everything's the program and everything is tailored to you but on a bad day you've got to deal with it yourself whereas this year I'd had a couple of bad races coming into Adelboden where I had my podium the young guys were doing really well in the tier below they they came to the race to race as well and they came with a good vibe I really it really helped me turn my um, emotions around 
and and made me think you know what these guys are are doing great i would love to be able to do even if it's one or two years with them before i have to say enough's enough with my body um to just be part of the team because i think i think it's going to be really powerful well that's really interesting then because something that people probably don't know about skiing is you spend a lot of time on the road and of course the season itself you are away you're doing camps you're spending time in hotels and you are just away from home. And it's, as you say, an individual sport. So how do you cope with being on your own all the time? Are you, are you comfortable as an independent person? And with yeah, your own- I mean, you learn to be independent because there was a year where I did about 270 days on the road. Wow. And as a, if you're Austrian, you can go and train and you can go home. Whereas if you're British, you have to go to Europe and then you're in apartments and sometimes hotels, but we normally try and do apartments because it's a bit more, you can do what you want, have meals when you want. Um, so yeah, it's, you learn to become independent and, but it's, it's really good when some other guys are around that can bring some energy and bring a good vibe because then that helps everyone. How do you switch off at the end of the day then? Because you get back, probably have some food, and then you just because you, you're literally probably there on the mountain or near enough. Yeah, you, you know, snow's there. snow's gonna always be around you. But how do you switch off? What do you do to chill out? Um, you just mong out. You find you just find yourself doing. The time flies when you're doing when you've completed YouTube about four times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah. You you just switch off and just. I tend to probably have an hour where I just watch something that's just easy watching. I'll then do some physical training as well in the afternoon or you play cards with, with the team. Yeah, you, you find ways. Fantasy football becomes the hot topic and, and your mood swings on fantasy football are more than what they are in a World Cup slalom. So, <laughs> yeah, it gets intense. Yeah, for sure. Now, obviously, something else that I'm going off here on the road is your partner cannot be with you all the time at all by any stretch of it. And I, I can only assume that that is um, frustrating. There are moments of elation in skiing and moments of, you know, you know, some so, you know, just being somber in a camp. As amazing and fantastic as your coach and support staff are, do you have a support bubble that you kind of stay in regular contact with just to make sure that you're checking in and making sure that you're okay? Yeah, I mean my fiance is my main support and has been through my whole career and, and fully understands it, which is very fortunate for me. And and to be honest, if I didn't have a partner who understood what I do and just fully let me chase my dreams as such. I'm not sure I would be as successful as I was because it's fine when things are going well um, at home, not even on this, but when it's tough at home, very rarely will she put any pressure on me. Okay. There's times where I have to like, if it's if she's struggling or whatever, but yeah, unbelievable, unwavering support and, yeah, if I've had a good day, try to be the first person I'll call before I've even got my ski boots off or whatever. So, yeah, try and share my emotion after a race. If it's bad, then obviously she gets called first as well. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, yeah, I'm sure it's quite stressful for her because she can't do much from the UK. And while, well, last year was very tough to get anyone out anyway because of the restrictions, but mm. it's very good to have her at races because it's generally calms me down in terms of you know it's just nice to have someone around or even when my coach's family's out there he's got two kids it's just nice to have that around because 
it takes your mind off the skiing. Yeah, it's just it's just nicer. Um, so, but yeah, it's tough on the road. But at the same time, very fortunate she's understanding of it. So you you just said there that she's understanding because she understands skiing. Did you meet? Yeah, on, on so the she, she's Dutch and we met ski racing. Um, she doesn't race now, but um, so she gets chasing your dream as a ski racer, and that's that's what she wanted to do. Unfortunately, didn't manage it um, herself, but therefore she she kind of gets what I'm doing and appreciates that. Yeah, it is. It's my dream, and I keep saying, you know, <laughs> once we finish skiing, once I finish skiing, once I finish, we'll do this, that, and the other, and I'm still skiing. So it's a big sacrifice from her for me to, because she lives in the UK as well now. So, yeah. but as you say, she does understand your narrative and your journey at this stage. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, just whilst we were just talking about emotions there briefly, I want to talk about f- finishing on the like the high of finishing on a world cup stage or competing at the Olympics. I can only imagine what those emotions are like, but when you are at the Olympics, how do you learn to just not just go, I am at the Olympics right now. How do you manage to control yourself and your emotions to perform on such a stage with millions watching? Yeah. It's, um, you just try and get in your normal routine that you would have for any other race. There's obviously a lot more pressure. There's a lot more, the spotlight's bigger on you yeah so it is tough and I do find I do find it a little bit harder to deal with the the pressure to perform but you get your routines and you just as soon as you get on the snow you're in your training routine or on the race day you just click into your race routine so I've raced so many times go into that routine and then you just trust yourself. And I was actually thinking at the last Olympics, I was thinking, you know, this is going to be my third Olympics on the day. I won't be nervous. Um, you rock up at the start cause you can't, you can't actually ski the course before you race it. You're only allowed to slide and slide through it to look at it. And I remember turning up at the start thinking, yeah, that, that theory is out the window. Cause I'm absolutely, <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> squeaky bum time. Here we go. Yeah, yeah. Do you enjoy the experience then? Do you, sorry, do you even have time to enjoy the experience? Because you, uh, you have to kind of detach yourself from the significance of the event. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say I've gone to the Olympics and thoroughly enjoyed it because I'm not there for the opening. My event is always the last event. Yeah. So I'm not there for the opening ceremony. I'm training really hard leading up to it. And, and I turn up probably halfway through the Olympics already. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very much right. I, I need to get in my zone, make sure my body's in good shape for say the Sunday. Um, make sure, yeah, illness is massive. You don't want to get ill. So many people in one place, it's, it happens. Mm, I bet. So a lot of pressure to stay fit, stay healthy, train and be ready. And then boom, it's over and you're going home. And then we, we're normally racing again a week after in the world cup. So you just don't have time. That's really interesting. Really, really interesting. Now you talked there that you've changed equipment suppliers and then switched back again. Are you back now with Dina Star? Is that right? I'm with back with Fisher now. So oh, you're back with Fisher. You were, and I've gone back to Fisher. Right, right, right. So now I'm interested to ask you: How does this and that choice affect different skiers? How how do you choose and become to know what manufacturer to go with? Um, so I was with Fisher for like five years. It was very, everything was working well, but then coming to the end of that, I was doubting myself and maybe the equipment. And it was, 
it came to me that it was after the last Olympics and I thought, you know, clear, clear the mind, fresh start, um, change, try, try the other brand. Um, I tested it before I went and, and I had a good, one good season and, a, and one bad season, oh, not bad, but I, I would drop to 14. Um, so yeah, I was, I'd never felt comfortable really in myself on that equipment. So it was a case of, right, I've tried something, I've given it a go. I'm going back to what I think is better for me. And um, yeah, I, I really felt comfortable again in myself when I was skiing, which was, which for me is the most important thing because while it's results based, you want to feel like I'm here to perform and I can perform because I feel comfortable in my setup. Totally. Now, just whilst we're on equipment, I'm not asking you to preach to the choir at all, but <laughs> I mean, how obviously important is it for any recreational skier to be wearing a helmet oh well yeah i mean yeah it's just you don't see many people anymore without helmets on even the coaches are wearing helmets now so if i if you see you probably see two percent of people on on the slopes without a helmet on now so it's just not worth the risk and the helmets are so comfortable mm. goggles, goggles on it's just a done thing now and i i personally would never ski without a helmet even after racing because i've just always had a helmet on so no chance am I. Well, they're, they're also incredibly comfortable. And also, anyone that wears a beanie and says that it's warmer than a helmet is lying. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Yeah. Oh, totally. Now, um, as we just come down to the end of this, I feel I need to ask you the question. Not that I'm asking for, for this to happen, for your skiing career to end, but what does the future hold after skiing? Do you think you'll stay move back to the UK permanently? Well, I, I actually live in the UK now. Um, I love the UK. Whenever I can get home in the season, I come back to the UK. I'm more meant because your fiance is Dutch. I didn't know if that was an option. Yeah. Um, could be. It could be an option, but um, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. I'm not no plans except for this next year to the Olympics, and then we'll see what's um, what's going on. So I ask this question to every guest that comes on the podcast: What does the word headstrong mean to you? Headstrong to me, I mean, it's just, I would say being able to deal with everything that life throws at you um, because the older you become, the more problems you seem to get, um, whether it be in sport or in life. So it's just, yeah, dealing with the problems, trying to enjoy your life and realizing what makes you tick because at the end of the day, we're not here for a long time in the grand scheme of things. So yeah get through make life as good as you can by dealing with adversity nice really appreciate it all right dave well look thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it uh thanks for being so honest and, and having a good old chat with me no problem thank you it's great to have teamed up with the good level a british cbd company who share a similar ethos to that of headstrong the Good Level co-founders, Joe and Johnny, believe in CBD as it's helped them and their families with their physical and mental well-being. Whether that's using their balms to recover from physical exercise or using their oils to manage stress and anxiety or to get a better night's sleep, The Good Level has well-being at the very centre of their brand. As we've partnered up with them for this season, you can get a 15% discount off all their orders using Headstrong15 at checkout. And if you're not sure about CBD yet, no worries. Joe and Johnny are always happy to chat and answer all your questions. 
you can contact them via their website or check out their Instagram at the.good.level. And that's Headstrong15 at checkout. And that's it for this episode of Headstrong. A huge thank you to Dave Riding for joining me. It was an absolutely brilliant episode and I hope that you found it insightful and engaging and indeed learnt a lot about the skiing world and how to get into it here in the UK. Join me next week for another episode of Headstrong. Please do rate, subscribe and pass the pod. Every little helps. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.